Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word this morning? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord, Galatians 5, 19 through 26. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Every year around this time, the statistics come out about how our denomination did in the previous year in terms of numbers of attendance, numbers of baptism, things like that. And every year since 2006, when we've come to this time, it has not been good news. We have been in a, a continual, gradual state of decline since the last year of growth, 2006. And you might imagine, of course, that 2020 would not have necessarily been a year of growth because a lot of people weren't attending churches in person. A lot of people were going through insecure times. And so we could look back at 2020 and say, well, let's put an asterisk by that year like we will for many reasons in many different areas. But the reality is this decline is not COVID's fault. It's nothing new. It's something we've been facing for several years. And every year around this time when these numbers come out, we ask why. You may have even noted in the news a few weeks ago a, a study that said among younger Americans, less than half now consider themselves to be religious at all. So it's not just Christian churches and denominations that are facing decline, but it's true in the synagogues as well. It's true in many different areas of our culture. And younger people do not find church in many cases to be a place for them but when we ask the question why we fall easily into the temptation of pointing to our culture and saying well it's it's their fault it's their fault let's point out all of the things that are are wrong outside of the church and there are many things we can point to and say it's the culture that's dragging people down but when you ask younger people their reason why don't you feel like church is a place for you it's interesting to hear responses and these aren't just responses i've read these are responses i've heard many times in personal conversations it's not because they joined another religion as we've already said it's not because they got woke that they left the church it's not because they hate god but rather they say things like i i don't feel like church is the place for me because it it doesn't feel in general to be a place of authenticity 
it doesn't oftentimes feel like the people there practice what they preach. And I hear that all the time. It feels like that, that Christian people, evangelical Christian people today, will make compromises to what they always said they believed if it's expedient for other reasons. And so the frustration that a lot of younger people at least express to me and have expressed to many others who have asked the question is it's not that the culture dragged them down, though it may have in ways they don't know, but it's that there's something inside of the church that says to them, I don't want to be a part of that. And so I think we have to ask ourselves the hard question. We can blame our culture for lots of things, but can we blame our culture for problems that exist inside of the church? And part of what I want to do this morning, I, I promise you the thrust of this message is going to be positive because we're going to land on the fruit of the Spirit, these beautiful words, which, by the way, every one of the nine words for the fruit of the spirit are feminine words in greek greek has masculine nouns feminine nouns nouns that have no gender every single one of these beautiful words are feminine words and they describe in 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 such wonderful explanation what it looks like to be christ-like to be gentle to be kind to have a demeanor a character about yourself that is itself very countercultural. And I don't care what culture you're raised in, these fruit of the Spirit, some if not all of them, are always going to be countercultural in some way because they are a reflection of what is born of the Spirit, not what is born of the flesh. And there's a big difference. Paul begins by talking about the acts of the flesh. He says the acts of the flesh are present in every generation because they are obvious. They are, they are obvious in the lives of individuals. And here he's writing to a group of churches and saying these things can also be present in the community of faith. Again, we can blame our culture for lots of things, but can we blame it for the problems inside of the church? Dallas Willard wrote, The understanding of a commitment to Jesus Christ has not penetrated our character deeply enough to influence our behavior. What Dallas Willard wrote, is it true? It seems true that if there is a problem inside of the church, it, it's a problem of character, it's a problem of discipleship, and it, it, is, it is revealing itself through our behavior or the lack thereof of Christ-like behavior. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you as the church are to be a pleasing aroma of Christ. In other words, you are supposed to smell so much like Jesus Christ that it is a pleasant aroma. It draws people to you. You become attractive. You become this beautiful picture of Christ himself. And people want to smell. They want to know more. But how can we as the body of Christ be a pleasing aroma of Christ in this culture when we reek of so many unchristlike attitudes and behaviors and alliances. So Paul says that the acts of the flesh, they're obvious, and this is not a pleasant list, so that's why I said we're going to finish in a good place. But I can't believe that I asked sweet Miss Teresa to read some of these words. And Paul's not just saying these are problems around the region of Galatia. 
he's not writing to the people in the marketplace he didn't say deliver this letter to the people out in the marketplace he didn't say deliver this letter to the temple of apollo he didn't say deliver this letter to the bathhouses he wrote this letter to the churches in the region of galatia who had been very successful in growing numerically there were several churches growing in the region of galatia but they were dealing with some significant problems inside the camp one of the problems that paul talks about most in the letter is legalism he says you all are starting to look like the pharisees and the sadducees you are so focused especially those who came from the jewish background to christian faith on the law again and the, you're so focused on the letter of it that you've forgotten the greatest commandment which is to love god and to love your neighbor but then he gets into this chapter and it, it feels like he can't just be talking to those from the jewish background he also has to be talking to the gentiles because many of these things represent the lifestyles people were living before they came to christ and became a new creation so sure he talks about things that that crop up in the church today he talks about discord and dissensions and jealousy and factions when groups rise up and 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 they have their own agenda that's not really about christ and the gospel but it's about you have to agree with me and if you don't i'm going to to defeat you at all costs we see that happening in the church today in our denomination today no wonder people don't feel like we always give off a pleasant aroma of christ but then there are other things folks who clearly had been involved in some very destructive lifestyles to their physical body and to their spiritual purity and he talks about things that you would never imagine having to say to a church don't participate in drunkenness and orgies but then he adds to the end of the list and the like just in case anybody might go through that list check every one of them off and say i don't struggle with any of those things it's been a long time since i participated in witchcraft so i'm good right and the like in other words that this list represents sinful fleshly attitudes and behaviors some of them are attitudes some of them are actions some of them are lifestyles and every single one of us is included because every single one of us struggles with our flesh every single one of us has something that we wrestle with that that is constantly pulling us away from living out the christian character that god wants us to demonstrate but the fruit that the tree produces indeed reflects the character of the tree and we know that we know oftentimes that that we make exceptions when we can see clearly that the fruit is bad and we must know that means the character of the tree is bad and yet the fruit tastes so good or it feels like there's there's so much of that bad fruit all around us that why not fight the bad fruit with more bad fruit as if sinful means are going to accomplish spiritual ends and they will not but Paul says further, I'm warning you, as I warned you before when you first heard the gospel, these deeds of the flesh do not lead to the kingdom of God. Those who continue to live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
C.S. Lewis said it this way, how can a person believe they can live like hell on earth and not inherit hell when they die? How can a person truly believe that, that living a life full of sin and evil and disobedience will inherit the kingdom of God? When Jesus said the exact opposite, only those who are born again, who have become a new creature and have put off their old way of life, will inherit the kingdom of God. This is not just a, an idle threat. This is a warning from God's Holy Spirit speaking through the pen of an apostle. All these acts of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. But we also began a few moments ago with Proverbs. And I wanted you to hear that text from Proverbs because of the consistency of the Hebrew Scripture saying the kind of wisdom that comes from God sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. But along with hearing from the Hebrew Scriptures, I want us to hear from Jesus for just a moment. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also talked about a tree and its fruit. And he warned, watch out for false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it's thrown into the fire. Or as Paul said, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The fruit reflects the character of the tree. And then Paul goes on to tell us beautifully with these nine feminine Greek words, what the fruit of the Spirit are. Now let me tell you for just a moment why I'm preaching this text today. Because just a couple of years ago, we went all the way through the book of Galatians. But before we start our summer series, as I've told you, I wanted to just share a few passages of Scripture that I've come across in my own devotional time. And I felt like they spoke to me in such a way that I said, ooh, I want to share that with somebody else. And this is one of them. This is a text that I've preached on a lot in my time in ministry, and I've taught on it a lot. But in my recent time studying the fruit of the Spirit, something new occurred to me that I want to share with you. It's probably something that many of you have already seen, but it was a fresh word for me, and I hope you'll be challenged by it as well. So I think it's not accidental that Paul gave us nine fruit of the Spirit— that they fit nicely into groups of three, and that each of the groups of three sort of has a unique nature to it. And that's something that I felt like became clear when I read it recently. So let's begin here. The fruit of the Spirit take root first in our hearts. That's the first sort of look at the first triplet of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace must take root in our hearts for the other fruit of the Spirit to be produced. So there's a reason why the Spirit led Paul not to start with patience. There's probably a lot of reasons patience isn't first. But to start with these three things, love, joy, and peace, which become steadfast characteristics of the foundation of the life of the believer. These things, love, joy, and peace, as huge Categories completely reshape our worldview 
The way we view everything that we see now is through the new lens of the love of God, the joy that God gives that only God can give, and the peace that God gives that passes all of our understanding. When it makes no logical sense that we would have peace, we have peace that the Spirit of the Lord provides. They are foundational in the life of the believer. And love is first for a reason. Not only because Jesus said, again, the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But as Paul wrote, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is what so many of the Galatians had forgotten. They, they believed they were experts in the letter of the law and checking off all the right boxes, but they didn't love each other. In fact, Paul said just a little bit before our text, you, my brothers and sisters, you Galatians, you were called to be free. So do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But listen, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Love, joy, and peace are foundational characteristics of the life of the believer. They're also foundational characteristics for the church. And if we are to produce the fruit that only the Spirit can produce in us, it will not happen if we abandon the core of who Christ made us when he saved us. People who reflect the love of God even when we're surrounded by hate. People who experience joy, even in the face of suffering. People who know peace, even when we're in the middle of a storm. And I would ask you this morning, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, do you believe this is true? And listen, I don't want you to beat yourself up if you would say this morning, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the joy. I'm not feeling the peace today. The joy of the Lord, the peace that surpasses all understanding, is not always something you feel. There are times where you just don't feel it. And you may even say, I, I'm, I'm struggling in a, in a chronic way today. Uh, it's been a while since I felt that joy. It's been a, a while since my mind could rest and I could experience peace. Let me, let me say clearly, it is okay if you feel like you need help to seek help. It is okay if, if you want to talk to your pastor or one of our ministers. It's okay if a Christian counselor or counselor is somebody good for you and healthy for your soul. It's okay to seek help. And if you, if you feel that chronic, kind of, it, it feels like an illness, seek the help. But I want to ask each and every one of us, again, not, not so that we get down on ourselves, if you say, I'm, I'm just not feeling it today. I want to ask you in the short time we have remaining, if you don't feel it, would you give that to Christ today? Would you seek Christ with all of your heart and ha ask him to help you remember that deep down there is a joy that he gave you as his child that only you can have in him and that there is a peace he can provide in the midst of whatever you're facing because these are foundational. They're at the core of the Christian life. What God expects from us sounds impossible. He wants our character to reflect his character. He wants the character of the believer to look like God the Father. 
looks to his people in the Hebrew scriptures. He wants our character to look like what Christ perfected when he lived in the flesh as he walked on the earth. Yes, these are impossible, except that the Spirit produces them in us. These are not the fruit of the strong will. These are not the fruit of my own strength. They are certainly not the fruit of religion. They are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And from love, joy, and peace, which start, they take root first in our hearts. Then come the fruit of the Spirit that are demonstrated in our daily lives. So notice again, there's a progression. It starts in our heart, but then it moves into our daily lives. And in our daily lives, believe it or not, it is possible to demonstrate things like patience. It is possible because this is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of my own strength, to be a person who is not normally given to being very patient, to become a patient person, because it's the Spirit of God that produces patience in you. This, this first word here, I wonder why, why did the NIV change the word to forbearance? Is it because we all got so annoyed with hearing all the time that we're supposed to be patient? They, they thought, because if you ask somebody, which fruit of the Spirit do you struggle with the most? By and large, it's going to be patience. And so maybe the, the translators here thought, let's find a more spiritual, accurate word, forbearance. That sounds really good. And less annoying than patience. But I hate to tell you, patience is a great translation of the word. It is a fruit of the Spirit, even for the naturally impatient person. As are kindness and goodness which means also something like being trustworthy being a person of integrity what would it look like in our culture that is so sick if just the people of god if just the church in their daily lives lived out patience kindness and trustworthiness if we were all those kinds of people as the spirit produced that in us i'm sure things would look different in fact, I, w I came across recently this quote from Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher. These words were written well over 150 years ago, but you'll find them to be incredibly timely for where we are. Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard had this, this idea. He said, I want you to imagine someone invented an instrument, a convenient little talking tube, which, say, could be heard over the whole land. He said, I wonder if the police would not forbid it, fearing that the whole country would become mentally deranged if it were used. Kierkegaard, 170-something years ago, says, I wonder what would happen if a little tube, a little device was created that at any time one person's voice could be amplified so that the whole country, the whole world would hear it. And if that ever happened, surely, certainly the police would put a stop to it because everybody would become mentally deranged if that were the case. I've been in ministry for over 20 years, which is not that long. But in every year of my ministry, there has been some kind of social media available. When I first began, it was very simple. Now there, there are more fancy versions of it. But every year of my ministry, there has been some sort of social media. And in every church I've served, I've been able to say this. There are many people who present something of themselves on social media 
that is absolutely nothing like knowing the person face to face. And I've even had people ask me, does this person go to your church? They, they, I, I can't believe it. They must be so hard on you and so hard to be around. And I'll say, you would never know it if you knew them in person. They're not like that at all. And, and yet this social, social media culture that we have, it, it just tends to bring out the worst. Things like Facebook and Twitter and the others don't usually lend themselves to the fruit of the Spirit. Am I right? And Kierkegaard was saying something very similar. What, if, if, if one person's voice could just be shot across the world, it could be a very dangerous thing. The fruit of the Spirit can even be produced in us online. And the character of God the Father and Christ the Son produced in us through the Holy Spirit is possible. Just as God is patient with us, and thank you, God, that you are patient with us, so we can be patient with others. Just as Christ modeled kindness and trustworthiness in every relationship, so we too can model kindness and trustworthiness. Patience, kindness, goodness, they are being produced in our daily lives through the Holy Spirit as we walk with Christ. And so they flow into the last three. The fruit of the Spirit, you really can't get to these last three unless you've gone through the first six. But when you get here, they are produced in the life of the believer regardless of circumstances. You might even say, in spite of circumstances. Sometimes when it seems completely counterintuitive that I would have self-control towards the person who's standing in front of me, the Holy Spirit produced that in me, in the moment when I needed it most. It makes no sense at all that I would respond to that aggressive fit of rage with gentleness, but somehow in that moment, the Spirit produced that in me. The word faithfulness is actually just the word faith. And, and sometimes we would say it makes no sense that today I would be so convinced in faith that God's promises are true. Everything about my circumstances around me would say the opposite, that I shouldn't be trusting him, that I shouldn't have faith that he's going to carry me through. But despite my circumstances, though it makes no sense at all, I have faith because the Spirit has produced it in me. I've realized something about myself, that there are circumstances and seasons of my life where the fruit of the Spirit have been the most evident and remember, when I shared this message at 8.30, my family was sitting here. Okay, so the people who live with me were here to hear, to hear me talk about patience and gentleness and all of that. And they will tell you there are times where I am not patient, and I'm not gentle, and I'm not kind. But I look back on seasons of my life, and I go, when have I been firing on all nine cylinders? And by and large, those have been the seasons of my life when things have been the absolute worst. They've been the seasons where I am completely out of control. I have no control of my circumstances. I have no way to fix this. I have no way in my own strength and intelligence to make this situation better. Why are the fruit of the Spirit firing on all cylinders in those situations? Because I've had to give up control. I've had to acknowledge, I can't fix this. 
I've had to completely surrender to God and say, I am completely dependent in this moment. And guess what? When I take whatever is overwhelming and I lay it at his feet, the fruit of the Spirit kick in like no other time because they flow out of that dependence and that humility. And they're being produced by the Spirit and nothing else and no one else because I don't have any strength left. The fruit of the Spirit are counterintuitive. They're produced regardless of our circumstances, sometimes in spite of. And we always talk about how we want to be countercultural. This is as countercultural as it gets. I don't care what culture you're born and raised in, these fruit of the Spirit rise above because they are what it means to be Christ like. If, listen, if you produce only the fruit of your own strength, you will quickly fail to be that pleasing aroma of Christ. But if the Holy Spirit is the one producing the fruit in you, you will be the pleasing aroma of Christ because that which the Holy Spirit produces is of Christ himself. Paul said, let your gentleness be apparent to all. Live as if you believe the Lord is near. Be Christ-like in every moment as if it's your last opportunity to do so. And the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in you regardless of circumstances. But here's the last part. Paul closes this chapter by reminding us that there is a cost to this. If we want to be Spirit-filled people who produce the fruit of the Spirit, we have to remember the call we were given at first to die to our flesh. He says in verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, as he had said earlier, walk in the Spirit, now he says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But that only happens when we have crucified our flesh. As Paul said earlier in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. That today is the call, the invitation. The message of salvation that we preach is that Christ died for us so that we could have life in him. And the way to experience that life in him is to be born again, to become an entirely new creation by dying to our old way of life and becoming an entirely new creature spiritually being born again, being made new, being crucified with Christ. 